welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I, I have attached, maybe I'll tell you, attached to my alarm clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, the, when the alarm goes off, it's not a buzzer or whatever. Yeah. It's Jerry. Oh, Jerry. for the love. And then <laughs> massive applause. And then massive applause. So here's the thing. <laughs> I wake up in a good mood. Well, that's what's important. Yeah. <laughs> Just have to get a recording for you. It's just that Mickey won't sleep with me now. (laughs) Well, that's not the only reason. (laughs) My my situation is so different. Yeah, what's your situation? No one, no one. Get your ass out of bed. (laughs) It's ten o'clock. No one's clapping for Gene. Nobody's (laughs) clapping for me. Hey, you know, uh, I don't know if I told you guys, but we're going to Cuba. Yeah. Yes. The podcast is like for real. That's what people think that this is a joke. No, we're really actually for real. Yeah. Yeah. What we don't know yet is whether we're going to be able to come back. Correct. We know we can get in, but we got the one way ticket. One way ticket to Cuba. We're negotiating the return. In Depends fact, on your the, behavior. The Cuban people are very happy. The Cuban government is willing to send us back. It's whether very much know, so. Yeah, <laughs> Trump is putting up a wall in Cuba now, just yeah. so I don't come back. Well, you know, and whether they let us in or out and let us return, I think depends a little bit. We're going on a, a people-to-people trip, perfectly legal, cultural working exchange. through cultural yeah, exchange, but, yes. and we're uh, particularly interested in seeing the politics of Cuba and the evolution of the politics of Cuba through the music, through message songs, folk songs, their roots music. And there are some artists down there, part of a movement called Nueva Nueva, Trova, and uh, they're troubadours, poets, and singers. Anyway, so I've been thinking as I've been working to put this together that I think we'll do better if we take some things, and apparently you can do this, where you give some things to your Cuban counterparts, well, people you're meeting, right. cultural exchange, right. things something that, that are American that we yeah, can that get maybe to they them. can't get here. So I was thinking Levi's. maybe we take some rolls of toilet paper, maybe we take, <laughs> maybe take some. Uh, but I was thinking maybe uh, some things from your show, no. for example. No. Are you crazy? Uh, no, we want to show the, the best that America has to offer. Oh not yeah, Springer. this is a cultural exchange. <laughs> And I, well, those Should t- they see, because you have done real work on the American culture, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. You have worked the well, American culture. The two hot for TV years have you been wor- Yeah, there you go. The two hot for I TV. I have been destroying the culture for, uh, for 25 years For now. 25 years. 25 yeah. solid yeah. years. Yeah. Can you, you so imagine? <laughs> hey, listen to this. Can you well, imagine well. if the American government... Actually reads the paperwork and realizes that you're going to Cuba <laughs> for oh. a cultural exchange. What are you oh, gonna, they're going, no, no, don't let him go. This is a major yeah. No, don't tell. I, I'm them telling you, about the embargo will be back in effect real quick. Yeah, I mean, so we're going to bring so. what DVDs of your show? We'll bring DVDs well, and of my that, show. What's it called again? Too hot for TV? Too. Like you don't have every copy. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't oh yeah, it's a hey, stocking they, stuffer. Come yeah, on, you've got it. And aren't they on? Like the format is. Uh, like uh, 
VCR. VC, VHS. So that's probably what they have in Cuba, or VHS, like VCR. Yeah. Oh, that's VHS. right. VHS, or maybe <laughs> eight track. There we go. There yeah. we go. Hey, this is great. I could bring down and actually watch them again. What else could they? Yeah. What else could we bring them? Well, what they didn't didn't I read somewhere? Oh, and I can't, this great. can't be true. But Megan, they don't. But get... I'm going to ask Jerry and want you to join me in asking him. So if he gets pissed off, he doesn't get pissed off only at me. Fair enough. I heard Megan. I think I may have read. That at the Jerry Springer TV show, yeah. you and I have never been invited there. No, we does have not. not. Want, does not want us in that room ever. Nope. <laughs> Isn't there like a souvenir store? That's what I've heard. And can't, and on some oh. shelf what in the there, there's like Jerry Springer panties. What? Oh. Are you serious? Like you don't have a pair. <laughs> I do what not. You but I'm going to find them. Yeah. I'll tell you that much right now. Oh, you've got to. <laughs> And it's I'm taking them to Cuba. It's a conversation piece. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I want to be part of that conversation. <laughs> yeah, but no, they sell all kinds of things. Like what else? What other kind of swag can you get at the Jerry Springer? Actually, show? there is a there is a T-shirt that a lot of people are wearing to the show now. Uh, Jerry Springer for president. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, kidding. Can yeah. you get like Jerry Springer mugs oh. and pens and all that stuff like yeah. you can at the it, museum? If Hillary doesn't run for re-election in 2020, yeah. I'm I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you oh, know, on a Lord. serious note, we are going to take. Some CDs from yeah. some roots well, yeah. music people who some are people associated with the folks play on this show. Parlor. Absolutely, and uh, that'd be great. Also, Casey Campbell will be with us with his we're guitar. We're going to give him Casey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to give How him about a little copy bit of Casey. Save the terminal. Save Union Terminal. Yeah. Recorded in <laughs> yeah. Cincinnati back in yeah. 1970 something. Hey, here's one other thing. Why wouldn't we, Jerry? It's a question to you. As met, and we'll let Megan listen on here because she's in on this. <laughs> but why don't I produce some flyers for Would You Like to Date Megan? <laughs> Pass those out in Cuba, oh. up and down you the know beach. What? That, I tell you, you ever, that, that you, brain of yours just doesn't stop. Does <laughs> <No>. <laughs> have so, you ever been out with someone of, of Cuban heritage? I've never dated anyone from Cuba. No. Would you oh. like to date a I've Havana never, boy? I've never really considered it, to be honest. Oh, yeah. that would well, be nice. That would be. <laughs> we'll, we'll set you up. Thanks, Jer. Yeah, I really yeah. appreciate where you guys' heads are all the time. It's great. Yeah, we're always yeah. looking out like for really you. I feel like I'm really good hands. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I don't. Always, always looking out for you. And you know, it makes me think of my cousin Mike. Oh, shut uh, up. And my cousin Mike, uh, and God bless him, Megan and Jerry, because he's, <laughs> he's my, my cousin Mike is, I guess you would say, in recovery. He spent 21 years in a monastery oh, in Kentucky. Yeah, and uh, he has become... What, recovering from a monastery? He's, he's become an atheist, if you want to know the truth. And oh. let's don't joke about that part, because, no, because none oh, of us wait is. A second, and, who strikes you down if you're an atheist? Well, I don't, he's not really worried about yeah. it. But he's been drinking a lot of beers, and I've been going out yeah. with him and drinking with him and kind of trying to bring him, bring him back into society, because he spent 21 years, first of all, not talking and spending his time making food, working in the fields, et cetera. So he's telling me, and he's kind of, his therapy is like, he's, oh, i got to tell these stories about the monastery, things I experienced, and some are funny, some are sad. And he said, he remembered the day a guy came into the monastery and came through the gates and met with a head monk, and the guy was so enthusiastic, I want to join the monastery. Now, don't laugh, but... Don't worry, we never do. He had no arms. He doesn't know if it happened in an accident, if it was sort of a genetic thing, but he had no arms. And so the head monk said to this gentleman, uh, I know you want to join, but I can't think of a job you can do. Look around. We are working men. This is, and we pray. We pray, we meditate, and we work. 
And he said, you know what, maybe there is one task. It's a long shot, but come with me. And my cousin was carrying some materials for the head monk, and he went with him. And they went to the bell tower of the monastery in Kentucky. You know the monastery, Megan. Mm-hmm. You've heard of it. Mm-hmm. And they're up in the bell. What is this? Uh-huh. I just hate you so much. <laughs> up in the bell tower, Jerry and Megan. What were you doing up in the bell tower? <laughs> I know nothing about the bell tower. <laughs> They're up I'm in the bell tower, and the head monk said <laughs> to this guy, do you think you could ring that bell? And he said, I can, because what I'll do is I'll run at it every hour, and I'll hit it, and it'll ring. I hate you so much. They said, let's do it. He joined the monastery. And that's how it happened? Well, what happened was after he was there for about a year, he made a run at the bell and he glanced off of it, Megan, and bounded over the railing and fell to his death. What a shame. What and a shame. When the cops came, Jerry, the cops came and they said to the head monk, because they were doing the investigation, taking the body away, and they said, Do you have an official name for him. And he said, I don't have his name, but his face rings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have his name. That took over two minutes to face. get to that. <laughs> rings a that bell. That was two minutes. No one in this room you, will get back again. You, you alienated <laughs> every possible group just to get <laughs> to that punchline. The religious, the handicapped, oh. the, any cops, people, all of it. You Catholics. did it. Catholics, all of it. Thank you, Gene Galvin. <laughs> Women who've been up in the monastery. <laughs> Let it go, Jer. <laughs> I've just had a bad day. Why? Well, I mean, I get up in the morning. Well, I get up in the morning. Right. I put on my shirt. The button falls off. I reach for my briefcase. The handle falls off. I'm afraid to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, that is a joke. hey. Let it be known, Jerry Springer got applause. This is not it. It was this good. is for this, new material. For new material. This is this is God's truth. This lit, as we're taping uh, this past weekend was the beginning of Passover, so we had the whole family over uh, down in Florida, and uh, so we're we're doing the seder. And those who aren't Jewish, you know, you, the whole family sits around, and it's uh, you go through prayers for about in our house, probably about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, and then you have a wonderful meal. And Mickey prepared this wonderful meal. And, you know, I'm, but then after you finish the meal, and, you know, there are a few more prayers, et cetera. Well, for the last few weeks, I've been telling this stupid joke about, yeah. you know, Mickey, God love her. We've been married for 42 years. And, but, you know, she's not the world's best cook. In fact, in our house, we pray after the meal. Mm-hmm. So now it's Passover. <laughs> when the meal was done and we cleared the plates and everyone got back to the table, I said, oh my gosh, we really are praying after the meal. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, actually, that actually happened. Yeah, I was wondering. I think if Mickey was sitting here, she well, might join. No, me no, she does not know this we question. do a podcast. Why wouldn't no. you, <laughs> you? If you're going to do jokes about cooking, and that's cool, and you're going to pull somebody in from your family, that's cool. Why wouldn't you do your mom? Right. Your mom, and right. not she your wife. She suggested that, and not Mickey your wife. Suggested. But it makes me wonder if you really. Can't you say it yeah. to your mom that wasn't a good cook? I and and I think that. it's like you're, you might really be a mama's boy. Like, oh, no, my mom is sacred. Well, yeah. Mickey's sacred. Right. Yes. Mickey's a wonderful person, very yes. saintly person. Trust me. Yes. And what she has Why should survive. I trust you? You <laughs> mean you tested her? <laughs> no, no, no. She is Where very, going very saintly. 
She's well, she's put saint. up with you for that long. Oh. The woman just deserves a medal. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Jerry, I got to ask you a question. <laughs> yeah, this I always know. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it true that most uh, candidacies, maybe all candidacies, end up being kind of a referendum on what preceded them? Whoever the certainly, administration. Certainly, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, certainly the presidential election. Historically, well, let's at least go history for our adult life, those of us who are in our 70s. Um, if, if I look at every election since 1964, um, every presidential election is a referendum on the current administration. So when Lyndon Johnson wins in a landslide in 1964, it obviously was because of the, you know, in part because of the assassination of John Kennedy, the whole country, you know, the election was 11 months after the assassination. It was clear that whoever the Democratic candidate would be, no Republican had a, cho had a chance. They had Goldwater, who was so extreme anyway. But clearly, the judgment was made, we're going to fulfill the legacy of John Kennedy. In 1968, the judgment was made that Viet uh, what Lyndon Johnson did with Vietnam, we elected Richard Nixon. It was a referendum on the war in Vietnam. In 72, probably the one possible exception. But remember, 72 was before Watergate and all this, and uh, there was still a lot of support for Richard Nixon. So the people said, okay, four more years. And, and McGovern was not a strong candidate, and there you go. In 76 was the referendum. We had just finished Watergate, so Jimmy Carter wins. In 1980, uh, we had just had the um, Iran hostage situation and uh, oh, the Arab oil embargo. America was upset, so they voted in Ronald Reagan. They made a judgment on Ronald Reagan in 84 and 88. The public was very happy. Most people were at that time with Ronald Reagan, and so the Republican won. In 92, they weren't happy with George Bush, so Bill Clinton wins. In 96, they're happy with Clinton. Even in 2000, after Monica Lewinsky, still more Americans voted for the Democratic candidate for president than Republican. Bush won the Electoral College, but you remember America voted uh, for Gore. In 2004, it was a response to 9-11. Still, there was mostly support for the war in Iraq, et cetera, and so they didn't want to change in the middle of the war. So Bush wins, and then in 2008, obviously America turned against Bush, against the Iraq War. Everything was for the economy, literally the financial community uh, system in America was going, you know, through the uh, through the basement actually. And so we have Barack Obama. America is happy with Barack Obama four years later. So every presidential election is a referendum on the current administration. Now we come to 2016. And this is historic for many reasons, but not the least of which is this entire election. And this is not anything we saw coming. But the truth of the matter is in both parties, it's all about Donald Trump. The Republicans obviously have to deal with Donald Trump, whether he's the candidate or not the candidate. And as we're speaking here tonight, which is the uh, 26th of April, um, it seems almost impossible to stop Donald Trump from getting the nomination, and an effort to stop him would so tick off 
the Trump supporters that the Republican candidate would absolutely lose in November. So they're kind of stuck either way. And even in the Democratic Party, the question is, you know, which candidate is going to be better able to deal with Trump? I mean, this election, we didn't want it to be so, but this is about Donald Trump. And that brings me to what I really wanted to talk about tonight is, you know, I'm biased. I love Hillary Clinton, and I think she's just totally prepared to be president of the United States and is the most qualified person to be president. And I don't have a bad thought or thing to say about Bernie Sanders. My guess is on an awful lot of issues, I'm closer to him even than Hillary. So this is not a slam on Bernie Sanders at all. But politics is about the art of the possible. And politics is about looking at reality because that ultimately is what you're going to have to deal with, not what you would like to see happen just, but also what is possible to make it happen. And again, April 26, 2016, barring some piece of information that no one yet has, it just seems inconceivable that Hillary Clinton will not get the nomination. And therefore, where Bernie Sanders goes from here, I would argue, for those of us who realize that a Republican president would mean that the right-wing Republican Congress could get whatever it wanted because there'd be no veto, to stop that, we have to have a Democratic president. The country has to have a Democratic president as long as you have this Congress. And knowing that, Hillary Clinton is the last thing to stop Donald Trump from being president. That's what it's down to. The Republicans can't stop Trump from getting the nomination. So the last protection we have from a Trump presidency and a Republican presidency that won't be able to veto this right-wing Congress is the election of Hillary Clinton. That's reality, even if I hated her. That's the truth. It's hard to find a rational argument against that. Knowing that, the plea is to Bernie Sanders supporters. Keep supporting him. Vote for him if you haven't voted yet in the primaries that are coming up. Support who you really want. That's what this whole process is about. And to Bernie Sanders and his people, do what you want to do. But in asking for people's vote, don't be going around slamming Hillary Clinton. Give your view of what you think the presidency should be and what you would do in the White House. That's a fair discussion. But to start slamming Hillary, knowing full well that everything you say is going to be picked up and, by gosh, make it more difficult for Hillary to win in November, you have to be asking yourself, what am I trying to get out of this election year? Why am I in this? If you really aren't bothered with a right-wing Congress, then go ahead. But if you're worried about what happens to the Supreme Court, if you're worried about what happens to women's rights, if you're worried about what happens to things like minimum wage, what happens to the economy, what happens to health care, what happens to the environment, all these issues that those of us who are Democrats or moderates or liberals care about, well, if this is important, then this is not like with sports teams where you root for uniforms. This is substantive. And we can't damage Hillary Clinton. 
even if you don't get excited about her. I think you should, but even if you don't, I don't even care if you don't like her personality. You don't like her voice. You wish she were cooler or whatever. None of that matters. This isn't a game show. This isn't who am I going to date. This, this is the leader of the free world. What's going to happen to our country? And we have to have someone who's really, really knowledgeable and is not right-wing. And that means from this moment on, do nothing to damage the candidacy of Hillary Clinton. We're only hurting ourselves. You might as well sign on the line, Donald Trump, please be our president. And cross your fingers, he's now in charge of the nuclear arsenal. He's in charge of all foreign affairs. He's in charge of everything. And if you really think that's best for America, then you go ahead and try to damage Hillary Clinton. But if you do not think that is the best, my plea is, for example, I don't want the Sanders people that I have heard say in the last couple of weeks, if we're behind, we're going to get the superdelegates to change their minds and vote for us. Well, that's hypocritical. That's everything against what the Sanders people have been saying. The beauty about the Sanders people is they're so pure. They've been so pure. They've been so, you know, this is what politics ought to be. They were complaining about superdelegates. Well, Hillary will have more pledged delegates, and Hillary, by a big margin, she already is ahead by two and a half million before they counted the votes tonight, is going to be ahead in the popular vote. So if most Democrats voted for Hillary and she has most of the pledged delegates as well, why would you try to get the superdelegates to go against the wish of the people? That's exactly opposite of what they were arguing. So please, you're supporting Sanders? Great. He's a good, decent Man, very bright, very committed, very authentic. Can't think of a bad thing to say about him. But let not the people around him lose sight of the real objective here and is not to give any, it's not to give one person the chance to put presidency on your resume. It is to save our country. And that's why we cannot hurt Hillary Clinton. Good comment, Jerry. Hey, by the way, when you talk about superdelegates in the Republican Party, they're struggling. They don't have superdelegates as, as we right, do. Yeah. They have a few, but yeah, not right, many. Right. Do you remember when, when you and I and others, Sherrod Brown was there. Actually, it was his wife who was the delegate, but he was there as a young state rep. Now uh, he is the senator from Ohio and, and other people. When we were delegates in 1980 in New York City, Following that convention, the superdelegate idea in the Democratic Party was birthed that there had to be some force within the Democratic Party that was not totally emotional and uh, easily drawn off to uh, drama and rogueness. And they built in this block of delegates that would be the, the grown-ups in the room. Let's be honest about this. That's yeah. the way the Democratic Party does it. The Republican Party, at the beginning of this election cycle, presidential election, election cycle, mocked that. Now they damn well wish they had that because they are suffering for the lack of that. 
There is nobody. The Tea Party people have dragged them to the far right, and they're now going to live with what happened starting six years ago, eight years, six years ago, probably when the Tea Party four to six movement started. And it just might, I'm not sure it will, it might wreck their party for the foreseeable future. We're going to have to see. And by the way, we touched on this last week. The parties, the social parties at the Democratic conventions are great. <laughs> they are great. Getting on depressing news. No. Yeah. yeah, and the Republican <laughs> yeah. parties, I've never been There's to a no Republican convention. Republicans can't. have to be yeah, like the so bored. They're like Re prayer groups. Republicans or, can't right. dance. No, they can't. No. No. But the parties, the, the you ever see a Republican candidate dance? A candidate? I mean, really? No. I mean, you see Obama dance. He can dance. Yep. yep. Well, I take that back. Hillary's not that good of a dancer. <laughs> right. I did see yeah, her. Yeah, that's okay. not great. Never mind. Not great. So, so if dancing is going to be the uh, or but just overall, the side you know, or, Democrats yeah. throw yeah. a better party. Like just hands down, we know this. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and by the way, we have uh, in a few minutes we have a fellow named uh, Finley Napier coming on. This is real interesting. Mm -hmm. He's not even in the room here at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. He's in, I think it's Glasgow. We'll ask him when we talk to him, in Scotland. And I'm going to tell where we found him and why he's on in a minute. But before we do that, I wanted to ask uh, Jerry. Uh, I, <laughs> I saw a picture. You've got to have a new setup because it makes everyone so uncomfortable when you say, yeah. I've got to ask you something. <laughs> yeah, it's never yeah. good, is it? I mean this in the nicest possible way. Whenever yeah. you hear that, like, it's not yeah. good. Yeah. It's gonna, or hey, no offense. No offense. You don't take this the wrong way, but. Um, you saw this photo the other day because I sent it to you, Megan, and I had seen yeah. it earlier in life. But there is this incredible picture. Yeah. We all put it on Facebook and stuff. Uh, and I should stick it up on the website, too. But it's a photo of a young Jerry Springer with Bob Dylan. Oh, right. right. The Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. And when it's sepia. some people emailed me and said, or maybe posted on my Facebook page of, look, Bob Dylan's looking at his cell phone. And what he's doing is I he's know. holding something. You can't quite see what it is. It's the key to the city. It is. So tell the story of Isn't how really? you met Bob that's, Dylan. Yeah, that's not a joke. And that why the in the hell can't you get him on this podcast? Seriously. I mean, you gave him the key to the city. <laughs> I've, I've run it. What, the key to Ludlow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be here in no time. <laughs> Damn. Well, as soon as the bus comes by, he'll, <laughs> he'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But no. so tell how that happened. Yeah, well, you know, when I was mayor... You know, we were, what, 32, 33 years old. So uh, we being you and me, mm -hmm. uh, Gene. Uh, and so obviously I was really into the music of the times. And, you know, I, I was a fan of all these people. And I figured, gee, I'm mayor now. So I want to meet these people. Why don't I offer them a key to the city? Shut up. No, it. this is true. <laughs> and I got in a little bit of trouble, not a lot of trouble, compared to all the other things. This was a piece of cake. This turns out this is yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not gonna, my obituary is not going to have it, the first sentence. Jerry Springer, who gave away a lot of keys of the city, <laughs> died today at the age of... But it might say Jerry Springer <laughs> yeah, in Northern know Kentucky. What it'll say. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Fort Mitchell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was it? No, Fort Wright. Fort Wright, Fort Wright, my bad. Oh, learn your history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Sorry, anyway, no, so I figured this and is the a way. And the check didn't bounce. Go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, no, didn't. I, no, I appreciate it that. It didn't. <laughs> no, go ahead. My, that so Bob Dylan. Good question, my credit. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> yeah, so I get to be mayor. Now, one of the campaign promises when I was running for 
at city council and the mayor was that if I were elected, uh, if I was elected, I would bring rock and roll to Cincinnati. Because remember, this is 19, uh, the mid 70s. And which the election actually was Dece uh, December of 77. And Cincinnati, for those not around here, was a very, very, very conservative Republican city. And uh, except for San Diego, it was the most conservative big city in America. And there was also a, 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 some of the leaders of this community were nationally prominent, what today we would call right-wingers, on all issues ranging from, you know, Maplethorpe to uh, the Keatings with uh, pornography and mm -hmm. all those things. So this was really, and the idea of rock and roll, oh my gosh, if we have rock and roll, we're going to bring drugs here, it's, you know, it'll be horrible. So we were fighting that, you know, the, the rest of the country had moved on, but in Cincinnati it was still an issue. And I thought of making it a, I wanted rock and roll because I was a fan of rock and roll. But, and so with the people of my generation. I thought if I can find an economic hook to it, and the economic hook turned out to be River, at the time we had Riverfront Stadium. Riverfront Stadium was paid for by the taxpayers of the city, county, etc. And so I made the argument, which I think makes real sense, and I think most people ultimately agreed, uh, Riverfront Stadium was vacant, said right on our river, obviously, uh, it was vacant 280 days a year because the Reds only play 81 home games and then the Bengals eight. So it's 89 days a year that the stadium is being used. The rest of the time, the stadium was vacant. You have this tax-supported, you know, which is costing us a lot of money and bringing in no revenue those days. So wouldn't it be great to turn the stadium for days that it was uh, available and have nice concerts there? So this was going to be Cincinnati's first ever sponsored outdoor rock concert. Bob Dylan? Well, no. Here's what happened. I wanted, I had a fan crush on Linda Ronstadt. So I got in touch with her, and we'd love you to host the first ever outdoor rock concert. And we couldn't work out the dates, but she knew and was friendly with the Eagles. In fact, the Eagles, if I'm correct, was the backup band for Linda Ronstadt when she started. I think she then went to the Stone Ponies, but I think started out with the Eagles. And she knew Glenn Fry, and she gave him, a, she says, let me see if I can get them. And sure enough, she got them. And so the first ever outdoor rock concert in Cincinnati was at Riverfront Stadium on August 16th, 1978. And so when they came to the city, of course, I gave them the key to the city. And then it suddenly dawned on me, this is great. Who else wants a key to the city? So now I start... <laughs> Just calling everybody. Making it rain with keys to Cincinnati. You can look it up. I gave keys to the city to Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. Uh, oh, it just went on. And, uh, um, uh, Emmy Lou Harris. Good and, God. Oh, it went on. I mean, I gave about 28, 30 of them. And at some point, the inquirer said, are you, you know, what are you doing? Knock it uh, off. <laughs> Yeah, inquires a Cincinnati newspaper. Yeah, and you're, you're right. you know, we're running out of keys. And I said, if I run, <laughs> I said, if we run out of keys, I'll start giving the combination: fourteen to the left, twenty-five to the right, twenty-seven to the left. Whatever. And Dylan performed, as I recall, at a place called Bogarts. No, I think actually it was for that concert. It was in the Coliseum. Oh, really? Then, River, oh, yeah. Well, it could be. Yeah, and because that picture is in the dressing room there. 
He had just returned from Nuremberg, where he did a outdoor concert at Nuremberg in, in Germany, and there was much controversy about it. So this was a huge story, as well as him just coming to Cincinnati to do the concert. But I got to say this. When he came in, and, you know, we're about the same age, and he was just so cool. And for 15, 20 minutes, we're sitting there, and he asked all the questions. He was just fascinated about being mayor of a city, you know, at a young yeah. age and all this. I mean, it was just like, and then he was just a regular guy. And the picture there is, he, yeah, people say that's a cell phone. It this is 1978. We didn't have cell phones. It was the key to the city. And he's looking at it. What's this, man? It's exactly Oh, also Bruce Springsteen. Wow. You know, there's a place in Covington, Kentucky called Mike's. It's a great place. And listeners, if you're ever in this area, first come to Folk School Coffee Parlor. Not not my cousin, Mike. (laughs) Mike's Monastery. Mike's is a a vintage uh, string instrument place. Oh, right there on Main Street, yeah. Right. So they sell guitars, mainly guitars, with some banjos, maybe mandolin now and then. Yeah, it's cool. And... uh, Story goes that one day, well, I know what happened. I wasn't there, but the guy that runs the shop told me this. One day, he's working the desk, and there's a kid in the shop, young teenager, looking at guitars. And this guy comes in with a hoodie up, and, hey, how you doing? And and he went all through the shop, and he asks about a specific guitar, a Gibson, some model number, and the guy, I think he even had one, and he showed it to him, and he was in there for maybe 45 minutes just sort of talking and looking at stuff and messing with instruments. And then when he was done, he said, hey, appreciate it. See you later. And he walked out, and the teenager turned to the guy that works at Mike's and says, that was Dylan. Shut and the guy said, yeah, I know it was. And by the way, here's a $100 gift certificate to you for not saying a word to him. Yeah. So the kid walked out with $100 credit <laughs> yeah. for something because he said, you know, that is very cool that as a young person, and you knew that was Bob Dylan, you didn't geek out. that you didn't say a word, yeah. you just let him be, and he walked out and walked up the street, and, he, and it turns out that he was playing at Bogart's, yeah. which is a venue in Cincinnati that's over near it. the University of oh, Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah. And it's just really cool that, you know, sometimes that stuff happens. Um, But anyway, and I I wanted to ask you one other thing. Uh, You were, uh, I love your TV show. I love your TV show. Because and I complimented you earlier on for the work you've done for our culture. And I remember. Do do people know that none of this is rehearsed? (laughs) Well, I guess you can tell. No. But honestly, I. But, but I God's saw... God's truth. We had no discussion. <laughs> we don't have a discussion of anything. Yes, we just come over here and sit down and turn on the mics and pray God that we, we can go. think of some stuff. But you had a guy what on your show... What do atheists yell out during sex? I don't know. That's a great question. You owe the humanity. Owe the, owe the humanity. humanity. Or, or the oh, horror. the humanity. <laughs> or the horror, the horror. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. You just well, you said atheist. I know you had on your TV show, yes, a guy as I recall, a, a little person, and he and he was a KKK guy, a little person KKK guy, Ku Klux Klan guy. Yeah, and do you remember that? And then they pulled the hood off. What was that all about? Do you recall that? 
show. Really it was one of your better I'm sure. shows. I'm sure, I'm sure it did. Yeah, he doesn't even know. It's like, well, sounds 5, like one of my shows. shows. I, I'm sure. I do have a real we, question. We anymore. often have, uh, you know, I do remember we had some shows. That's when we went more, more serious. Uh, but we did have some shows on the Klan. And I guess, we, yeah, we did have a, a but didn't the guy pull the hood off the and clan. he was an African-American yes. little person? Yeah, but he was a member of the Klan. And that how's was that all the... How how does that, does it it how didn't work, work very well. <laughs> say, this makes sense. No, but that's why he kept the sheet on all the time. <laughs> it makes me think of the didn't time... did you say that, that, like, honestly, your very first show, that there was protesting because of... Inter- like, that's how long it... Like, there were oh, protests because yeah. of interracial people. That's not a joke. That is true. Yeah. Like uh, early on, the very first year of our show, we did it here in Cincinnati, right up on Channel 5 there in... Ninth Street, Ninth and Plum, I guess. And anyway, so, and we did a show on interracial dating. Oh. And there were protesters outside the studio. And it wasn't that long ago. It was like 1990. 1991. Wow. So you think about it. I mean, with all the joking about the show, part of it belongs in the time capsule because it does show you Mm -hmm. how our reaction to the culture has changed. You know, now we have an African-American president, thank God, who's a product of an interracial yeah. marriage. That's right. really stunning when you so, think and, of and those protests. So, and here we have just about interracial dating. It, it, you know, it's, it's basically how we got the idea that the name of the company that we started that owns this sh- podcast is Liberals Always Win. Yep. Because in the long run, on all these social issues, in the end, we win. There'll be protests in the beginning. You guys are crazy. You're idiots. You're going to ruin the culture. You're going to do this, that, and the other. And 10, 15 years later, you're embarrassed that you even debated the issue. Gay marriage being the last, ex- most recent example of how, in the end, liberals always Or win. transgender bathrooms going on right Absolutely. now. That, that's oh. the next one. That's Let's the next one. Let's do the next that, podcast on yeah. that. Yeah, we yeah, need yeah. to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, when I do the banking for the podcast and... I'm dealing with a bank in Cincinnati, which is like a major bank with lots of branches, and I pop into different ones Don't depending on where I am. Don't you sometimes have to make a deposit? Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, that's well, that's the point. When I take your checks. Oh, yeah, it's quite embarrassing. No, you don't know what that feels like to walk into a conservative Cincinnati bank with a check that says liberals always win. Well, that's the deal. That's it. So you're experiencing it, too. Do they? Yeah. Do they comment? Oh, I've had. Here's what what a guy said. um, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember what he said, but it was hilarious. And he kind of whispered across the counter to me when he saw the check. And he and then he then he sees the name. Oh, yeah, typically it goes like this. They look at the I'll walk up and say, because that's what I say. I say I want to deposit this into our business account, which is Liberals Always Win LLC. And they make eye contact with me right away and stare at me. What would you say? (laughs) Liberals Always Win LLC. And then they have their reaction to that, depending on whether they're liberals or conservatives. The liberals, they go, yeah, cool. And if they're not, they go, you're crazy. And it's your point. And then they see the name, and then they oh, my name then, on the oh your name, and oh, then right. they'll say things. Well, sometimes course. what they should say is absolutely nothing. Right. Professionally, Correct. you're an HR yeah. person. Correct. They should say nothing, but right. more often than not, they'll say, "Be Jerry Springer," and or, or then they'll say they'll lean over and they'll say, "His show Thursday was unbelievable." Can you tell him that? 
my yeah, favorite I, when we did the the radio show, I had to go in and cash my check from, yeah. and it was it was from Jerry. So you yeah. walk in as a twenty four year old woman with yeah. a check. Oh, from Jerry oh, 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 you live in Northern I Kentucky. Oh no, yeah. I like it. What? I like it, Megan. Yeah, right. It's for a radio show, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm on his radio. Sure, it is. I'm on his radio show. Why didn't I say it was a radio show? (laughs) Yeah, radio show. Can you get Mr. Lease on the phone? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Nobody knows who he is. He's uh, (laughs) anyway. We have on our website from the beginning, and we've been around for, by the way, I think today, the 52nd episode went up. So it's a one, hey, it's one year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We made it. Tales, Tunes, and Tom Bullery, one year old. So when we started the show and set up the website, Blue Sun Media out in LA did that for us. We set up a thing called Songwriter Stump. The idea is that if you're not in the greater Cincinnati area and not a touring musician or a group songwriter coming through this area, and you'd like to still be on our show, let's use some technological wizardry and see if we can still involve you. Sure. So what people do, and we get a steady flow of these because they come to me as, and then I send them, or Casey Campbell, our music coordinator, sees them as well. So there are people who send in a song There's a signed form that says, this is my material, but I'm going to let you have it to play it. And the trade is I get exposure and you don't have to pay me to play it. So we get deal with a copyright issue. So the songwriter stump has gotten some from not only around the country, but a few of them from around the world. So tonight is the first night that we're doing this. And we have on with us now, and I'm going to sort of pull the curtain back from the Wizard of Oz. He's coming in over (laughs) Skype. From, I think, Glasgow, Scotland, Finley Napier. And let's give Finley a round of applause. All right, so here's where we all cross our fingers and say, Finley, are you there? I am here. Hello, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Hello, hello, Scotland. You have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. Just love it. Been there vacationing several times. Oh, great. Well, yeah, it's, uh, thanks very much. And done right back at you. Although I confess that I've only been to Kentucky once. I, I drove through it in the middle of the night on my way to St. Louis. Or is it St. Louis? Yeah, either ah. way. So you have been in the States then. So you've, uh, ah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I, used to t- I toured quite regularly in the States with a Scottish traditional folk band called Back of the Moon. So oh, fantastic! I was there a lot. Are you are you far from a town called Dundee? I would say we're about two hours from Dundee right oh, now. Okay, yeah, I remember uh, we spent a night in Dundee, and one of the things I remember, which actually is relevant to this place, they had this wonderful. I guess it, it was a coffee shop or a pub, and we walked in there, my wife and I, and just you know, because we wanted something to eat, and there were about twenty five people with guitars, banjos, fiddles, 
and sitting all around. And then there was a big round table in the middle and they would just play songs and someone would get up to leave and another person with his guitar would come in and everyone just sang along. So there wasn't any like paid entertainers. It's people just came in with their instruments and everyone sang along with it. Now, is this a custom that is done in many places in Scotland or did we just luck out and... But it's exactly like the place we're doing this podcast from. Oh, it's quite a, it's quite a common thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in Scotland and Ireland, that that's just called it's called a session. Um, yeah, and in, in Glasgow, where I am at the moment, you can go to at least one session a night. Oh, that's great. That is great. One last question, which has nothing to do with what you're going to do, but do you know this? I'm not going to ask you to play it, uh, but do you know this song, "The Road to Dundee"? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. My mom used to sing it, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's an old fashioned. And I fell in love with that song. But then someone wrote the words for me and it's all in uh, Scottish uh, Gaelic. Excuse me. It's, I, I yeah. imagine it's not. It won't be. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be a right pedantic now, if you don't mind. So Gaelic is Irish. You're right. And, he made me Gallic say it. I wasn't going to say Gaelic. The guy here made me say it. Scottish. Scotch. And by the way, let's... So, t- yeah, go ahead, Finley. Sorry. So I was going to say Scots. Scots. <laughs> Rather than yeah. Scotch. It was Scotch. Scotch is what you drink. Isn't that the tune? That's it, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I love this song. I really do, but I don't know the word. So all I can do is... <laughs> <laughs> Not unlike the Okay, I'm and by the way, let's, yeah. let's tell a couple things about Finley. Uh, he, he is, uh, and I'm going to kind of brag on you here for a second, Finley, because I've been doing a little research, but uh, Finley Napier is, is very significant in the music scene, and particularly uh, what we would call roots music scene in Scotland. He is uh, kind of a big deal, and his latest album is called VIP, which is Very Interesting uh, Persons. And I think uh, the first song you're going to do is uh, from that album. Would that be true? That's right. I'm going to play a song called An Idol in Decline, which is about Mickey Mantle. All right, here we go. Poor Mickey Mantle, pride of the Yankees I had a card that you signed The end of America's childhood For an idol in decline Mickey Mantle, I can still see you Fifty-six frozen in time Always your favourite summer For an idol in decline
upper Mickey Mantle You made the covers But somehow you slept out of mind Number seven's not always so lucky A comet fell out of the sky was beautiful you would have no way of knowing this but he's like my all-time hero oh, no way. <laughs> oh uh, you have no idea i mean it, he was exactly my generation uh back in the 1950s baseball was just about the only sport that was on television it wasn't until 1959 that most americans had television sets so Mickey Mantle was the golden, I mean, if you have an image of a golden American hero, it was Mickey Mantle. He was right from the center of the country. You, the words, the research you did is excellent. I mean, he was from, you said Comet. Oh, he was, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I did all my research on Wikipedia. Oh, <laughs> well, perfect. That's <laughs> great. Hats off to him, because I'm thinking, all these references you're making, yeah. right, he was from Commerce, Oklahoma. They called him the Comet because he was not only the great greatest slugger in baseball. He, he was also the fastest man in baseball. He was this beautiful blonde, uh, you know, every kid wanted to be Mickey Mantle. You would run like him. You would use the same posture when you were playing stickball or baseball. You would say, and here comes Mickey Mantle. Boom. You know? I mean, everything was Mickey Mantle. And the idea that he was a hero in decline. There's a wonderful story about a book about him now uh, called The Last American Hero because he, he had a sad ending uh, because he became an alcoholic and, uh, and then just, you know, just really, really declined. And in the end, you know, he had to have various transplants and, you know, he's been dead now 20 years. But that is a beautiful Beautiful song, and thank you. You ought to send that song to ESPN here in America. I know yeah. they will do something with it. I, I'm dead serious. That they well, they would play I'll, that I'll song in the Hall of Fame. Do that it sounds like a good plan. Yeah, just do yeah. It. It, it, it. Just from your point of view, uh, it'd be great for Americans to listen to it. But it would be, I think, a great commercial success. I can see the Hall of Fame playing that song. ESPN does sports specials. Yep. Send it to Brian Gumble, who mm -hmm. has a... Yeah, do it with ESPN. I, I think it, that's phenomenal. Finley, if you and I communicate, and we have yeah, our respective email addresses, we, Jerry maybe can help you uh, get some of those doors open. Oh, that, to try yeah, to, I'd great. love to help <laughs> you with that. Yeah. Okay, would you do a second song for us? This is uh, Finley Napier. Could you do a song about Yogi Berra? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the next song I was going to do for you is is one called the Sweet Science. It's a, a, a kind of posh word for boxing, 
and and this is about a boxing match that happened in the nineties between uh, between two guys, and and one of them killed the other one in the ring. All right, so. There saw it Just Gabriel as he fell Jeremy's ghost The man he killed Is the keeper rang the bell Flashback to Las Vegas He promised to make someone pay But what went down In the seventh round Shouldn't have gone that way The sweet science of bruising Casino lights Gabriel and Jenny Touch gloves and start to fight Family round the bedside Jenny's out, there is no change They're pleasant on the outside But Gabriel, he's to blame it wasn't even the title fight It fought with down the bell Gabriel didn't pull a punch When he didn't mean to kill The sweet science of bruising Beneath casino lights Gabriel and Jimmy Touched gloves and started to fight The premonition Let a candle Said a prayer Now sees in every Boxer's face Ghost of Jimmy's stare Sweet signs Of bruising Beneath casino Lights Gabriel and Jimmy Touch gloves And start the sweet signs Of bruising That's Finley Napier from Glasgow, Scotland. Fantastic, Finley. Hey, could you, uh, we want you to take us out on Irene Goodnight if you are willing. And uh, before we do that, can you tell us and our listeners, how can they access your music? Do you have a website? Do you have Facebook presence? Tell us how they can uh, hear your stuff. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Bandcamp, and iTunes, and it's all under my name, which is Findlay Napier. Uh, so Findlay like Ohio and, uh, and Napier like the university. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for joining us, Finley. This, this has been, been so been cool. Great it's been, it's been so A cool total that, treat. That, that yeah. you've done this from uh, a long, far piece from here. And it's, uh, we, we, we're glad you were the first one and what there'll be others. Uh, Finley Napier leading us all on yeah. Irene. Good night. Oh, wow.
Last Saturday night I got married Me and my wife settled down Oh no, me and my wife, we are parted So I think I'm gonna go downtown Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Thank you very much.